Welcome to uh, Benel Street Art Center's podcast, Inspiration and Adaptation. This weekly conversation with Alaska artists explores how artists are adapting in challenging times. I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Benel Street Art Center. Today's conversation features contemporary Alaska artists Scott McDonald, Sheila Wine, Michael Conti, and Anvil Catlin Williamson. We'll be talking about art in the Anthropocene. Our conversation today is recorded, shared on Benel's website and podcast, and Facebook Live. So everybody's questions are welcome. I just want to welcome everybody who's here today. Thank you. Thanks, Asia. Let me introduce these artists. And um, I want to thank you all for just agreeing so generously to talk with us today. Scott McDonald's an artist, an art educator, and a lifetime resident of Alaska. He teaches K through six art for the Anchorage School District, as well as an active studio practice in both Homer and Anchorage. Sheila Wine is a visual artist based in Anchorage. Her studio work has been shown across the state, the lower 48 and overseas. Her work is in permanent collections of several Alaska museums, and she's designed over 20 public artworks. Michael Conti is a photographer, filmmaker, and printmaker living and working on the land of the Denina people in Anchorage, Alaska. And he is a professor of photography at the University of Alaska Anchorage. Anvil Catlin Williamson was born and raised in Spokane, Washington, but has been a permanent resident of Fairbanks since 2008. She received a BFA from the University of Alaska Fairbanks in 2016, and she's been a full-time resident since 2017. So, what is the Anthropocene, and what does it look like in art? Let's, um, can we frame this conversation today by sort of collaborating and pitching in on a definition? Would anyone like to start us out with a sketch of words or thoughts to help us define Anthropocene? Well, I would say it's the human epic. The human epic, I love it. it. It come, it's the next geological age. It comes after the Holocene age. And it's, I think it's the first, uh, it'll be the first labeled epic that is for a, a specific species rather than a, uh, you know, rather than a, a specific uh, climate event that just was caused by volcanoes or, you know, meteorites or, or things like that. We're the cause this time. Yeah, right. Would anybody else um, add into that? Sure, I would say, I would say it's, the, um, it's, it's the now. It's the age of human responsibility is sort of how I think about it. Scott, anything you'd add yeah, to that? I'd like to say, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of geologists would disagree that it's not the Anthropocene right now. And, um, and they go by geologic strata in the rock. And so, uh, but as a movement, it's such a strong message that there are so many uh, actual chemical changes in the atmosphere and the ocean uh, that it is uh, a different world than the one we started with. <clears throat> Um, 10,000 years ago. So um, a lot of scientists aren't going to uh, jump to renaming this new geologic era, but, but it's, it's a very strong message uh, for people to get behind. Mm. What do you think, Mike? Is there anything you would add to that? Um, I think that pretty much says it. I, I, I kind of, I like your point, Scott, about um, maybe, maybe it's more of a popular culture term than it is a scientific term, but either way, it, um, it allows us to kind of get perspective on the changes that we as eight, seven, eight billion people, are, the changes that we're making on the earth, the climate, the atmosphere, the oceans. So even if not scientific, it is, uh, it's important to think in that way because only we can kind of reverse these changes that we're making. Mm -hmm. So my next question is, what agency do artists have in um, 
illuminating the Anthropocene and in affecting policy um, through any means. Um, let's, let's hear from you all about um, what you think the role of arts is in exposing this new era and affecting change. Can I turn it back to you, Sheila? Mm. It's a, that's a big question. Um, I can only really answer it from my own perspective, which is I'm, I am reflecting heavily on what we have been doing. And I'm trying to, right now, I, I feel like I'm, I'm documenting more of, of our past actions rather right now, before I go into um, more proactive measures. It's like, I, I want to emotionally understand how we got here first. And then, and then I'm going to, I can sense that over time I'll move forward, but right now it's more, I'm still thinking about, you know, what I'm standing on, so to speak. Anybody else have a, I, I do. Um, I think as artists, um, our communicators and, and emoters, we, we have uh, feelings that we need to communicate. And, and a lot of times I think that an artist can serve as a lightning rod for all this kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it the collective unconscious, but uh, we can communicate what people are feeling, what we ourselves are feeling, and then maybe hold up a mirror to a society. I mean, that said, on a grand scale, maybe that's what art artists can do. Um, we can communicate from scientists in ways that people will understand, and we can make them feel something that hard data may not make uh, your average person understand. And I think that goes across all media, from performance to visual arts to poetry and and film and et cetera. Yeah, I agree with Michael. I think art has the ability to prick the emotional side of a bigger issue that might be easy to compartmentalize. And um, like Sheila, I can only really speak from my own experience and my own work, which is uh, pretty, revolves pretty much around the individual. Um, but I think that's where you can foster that compassion for lives outside of your own, which goes hand in hand to me for a passion for conservation. Uh, I'm so pleased with everybody's answers because uh, I was thinking everyone would say, uh, you know, it's our duty to um, change the world, but I don't think it is at all. I think that we, we act first and then we comprehend what we're acting on later. Uh, and, and, and the opposite of that is something um, more akin to propaganda or, or uh, you know, for trying to push a message or a movement. And that's really not what artists do, um, at least not what I do. I mean, I, I act first and then I think about what I did later, which is you know, maybe a little dangerous sometimes, but um, it's, um, I don't feel I, ha I have an obligation, even though these issues are important to me and, and they uh, are reflected in the artwork I make at times. Um, you know, you're reflecting on what you see and what you feel and you, you know, some, some artists work um, more microscopically and, and some work on big pictures, big ideas that uh, emote just general feeling. Um, I, I tend not to be that specific myself. Um, and I, I'm always scared of artwork that, that uh, pushes an issue. I don't know. I don't trust it. So. Is, that, is anybody else in that same boat, in that sense of um, distrust of art that pushes an issue? Yes. Sure. <laughs> yes. I mean, so I, in ways I've thought in the past that, that I needed to make some art like that because, um, because I felt passionately about an issue like climate change um, or overpopulation or, or some, some issues that I think 
need that propaganda or that advertising sort of style and look. I, I don't like the idea, but I, I somehow I, I feel like in a way it's necessary if we want to um, pull back from the edge of the cliff, so to speak. But, but as an artist, no, I, I'm not, I'm not into it. <laughs> but, but as a human being, I think, oh, this is, this is what's necessary. We need an advertising campaign to get people all on the same board, on the same page, I mean. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of art has a part to play, certainly, uh, and culturally, but also it tends to be a conversation stopper. And I think art right now that opens conversation doors and is um, maybe a little more open-minded to listening to other opinions that maybe disagree with our own is really important right now. And I just want to remind everybody that might be tuning in, if you have a question for these artists, you're more than welcome to ask it or a comment as well. So floor is open. I'm curious um, if, the pandemic has pushed you, any of you, into new to a new frame of mind that's really surfaced more meditations on the Anthropocene. Because the pandemic is an obvious way in which human perpetuated change has accelerated a sense of finitude and vulnerability on the planet, right? Has that inspired my, my you? First, my first thought is that the pandemic could save us all. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, when we saw those uh, changes, say, um, there was a city in the Himalaya where you could see the mountains because the pollution had dissipated because people were not driving, people weren't burning fuel. Um, and I, I kind of thought, wow, this, this could be the, the, the fire that's lit under us to change. Now I'm not so sure because we all just want to go back to the way we were do, go, doing things before. So we're, I think human nature kicks in and we just want convenience again uh, rather than duty or responsibility. So, but that was my first hope um, in March, April, May was like, wow, this, this could actually, you know, this is hard and I don't want to minimize any, any people who have gone through harder times than I with, loved ones lost and and jobs and businesses all of that is terrible but i i tried to look at the big picture and find hope in something that would jerk us out of our sleepwalking to the to the edge of the cliff so that was my first thought but i'll let i'll turn the mic over to you guys Mike, I kind, of, I kind of agree with you. Uh, I have a phrase written on the wall in my studio that says, normal has shifted to a new location. And it's, it's been there for, for years, but I do feel like uh, we're questioning now uh, our desires to go back to normal because we've realized the normal that we long for, you know, to be able to drive wherever we want, to keep the social structures that we have have had in place the same, all of that we're, we've realized this all needs to be reinvented. We need we need a, a better new normal, not go back to our old normal. Even though that's that's comforting, that's what we that's our comfort food, that's what we want, but we can't go back there. So what is the new normal? I think that's that's the question that you know socially as a society we're facing trying to figure that one out yeah so this dialogue is kind of um a moving target in the sense you know that we're responding to the state of the world and to local conversations two weeks ago i didn't even know we'd be chatting about the anthropocene um while of course artists have been exploring that for for several years now, and it's been a topic of some books and some really interesting exhibits. I think it's sort of interesting that just a few days ago, a, a new show curated by John Coyne at the IGCA, the International Gallery of Contemporary Art in Anchorage, addresses this theme. And at the same time, um, Anvil opened a show in Homer at the Benell Street Art Center that 
I feel like addresses this theme very implicitly and sometimes more explicitly. It seems that now, you know, five months after the pandemic has started and, and all of the sheltering in and shut down, you know, orders kind of came down in Alaska, artists are, have had some time here in our state to really drill down and, and on an um, individual level that's sort of collectively apparent exploring this, this particular time. And the Anthropocene is is very um, seems to be very rich. I mean, how many artists are in that show at IGCA? Maybe thirty. I don't know. It's a lot of work, and you all made work for it, Scott, Sheila, Mike, and and many others who may be joining us today. But I want to go back to um, Anvil in terms of responding to that observation. Um, and, I, and invite you to, to share some images, if you would, um, from your okay. show. Um, I'm thinking about uh, a particular piece that I'm, that I'm fond of um, called Giants, which I used as a title image for this talk today. And that's um, a polar bear standing on a sinking oil barrel with a little mask thrown over his shoulder. Can we look at a few of those images and maybe you could talk us through some of your thoughts and processes when that piece was made and how it kind of came about as, as well as some others. Sure, you want me to jump into screen share? Sure. All right. Yes, this is my polar bear. <laughs> Uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself a political artist, but I, a wise person once said to me that art is political inherently, and I have gone back and forth on that for a long time. But this piece I've been chewing on for a couple years, it's sort of a miniaturization of Michelangelo's David, uh, sort of an Alaskan interpretation. And I've had it on hold for a year because I didn't know what on earth he was going to have slung over his shoulder. And then... <laughs> May came around and I, I thought it can't, it can't be anything else but a mask. Um, and so I sculpted this piece in May, sort of before masks became super political. Um, but it has been an interesting conversation piece. It can be interpreted a couple different ways. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, Scott, I'll just make things and then I have to live with them for a while and go, oh, I think that's what that means. Um, so I don't know, I was thinking a lot about the, I started thinking about this piece when the university was sort of on the ropes as it's been for a few years and the balance between Alaska's economy, um, which is so re reliant on oil at the moment um, and the effect of the um, climate change on marine life populations. And I know, I know a lot of people disagree about that, but, um, you know, scientists pretty largely agree that climate change is happening and it's affecting everything and everyone. So I made this piece when I was thinking, feeling really overwhelmed about just everything. How, how are we supposed to fight a giant virus? How are we supposed to fight, um, you know, uh, extractive industry? How are we supposed to save everything and everyone? Uh, and I had to intentionally inject some hope into the scenario and say, you know what, David, then in the narrative, David, fought the giant. He was on the right side and he, he brought him down. Uh, so this piece is called Giants because I felt like there were just too many giants to take down, but that there is hope um, and that collectively I think we can find solutions. Do you have another view of that piece? I do. I lost my keyboard. Mm -hmm. There we go. Mm -hmm. I have just the detail on the mask there. Mm -hmm. So you started the polar bear, but then resolved the mask thing in May, is what you're saying? Yes. Uh, well, I started the whole piece in May, but the idea of a polar bear balancing on a sinking barrel has been, I've been chewing on it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece. And I love the, the expert glaze work there, too. I mean, he's so kind of like um, the matte texture and the white sort of. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, technically nice. speaking, that's many, many layers of glaze. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting kind of um, 
uh, contrast to marble, but something, something referencing that for sure. Are there other pieces from the, your show that you feel like um, respond to the theme of um, Anthropocene? Uh, sure. So I have um, this piece probably, I think, next most, second most um, applies. I also, in looking for sort of hope in the whole scenario, um, you know, my work isn't really about animal conservation, but it sort of is in its relation to human humanity and our effect on one another and our reliance on the planet. You know, we're all in this together. Um, and so I was reading about how endangered sea turtles have had sort of a, an egg laying boom because there haven't been as many people on the beaches where they usually lay their eggs. So um, I found that amazing, uh, incredibly hopeful. I, and how quickly nature seems to be bouncing back. Um, like Michael, I'm excited to see the data sort of on, I, I really hope that uh, this time that we all spent not driving everywhere, not burning all those fossil fuels will actually show up in some sort of meaningful scientific data way. <laughs> um, I, I continue to have hope about that. But this this piece is sort of about doing the best you can with what you've got. And you know, it doesn't matter what what's the box is, it matters what's precious and what's in the box. So um, this is a leatherback sea turtle, which I also, you don't find represented in art too much because they're not as cute as the other sea turtles. <laughs> They've got the double chin and the, you know, they're not really attractive, but they're, they're important. They're important to the ecology and um, they're incredibly affected by trash pollution in the ocean. They uh, eat plastic bags on accident because they think they're jellyfish and um, just these casual things that we don't think about. I like bringing a sort of level of education into the work that I do along with the emotional part. Particularly like the stone-like appearance of the glaze work there too. It just, he feels like he's carved from, I don't know, limestone or soapstone or something. Yeah, ceramic has this amazing quality where you can, uh, when you treat it right, it's very lifelike, but it also can be stone at the same time. So shooting for that monumental, but also still in motion. Uh, that's, a, that's a moving target for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you achieved a, a beautiful cardboard box as well as a... Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, and I won't say too much about this one, but it is still relevant because I made this thinking about passing down uh, beliefs. This piece is called Zealot, uh, and it's about sort of passing things down to the next generation. Um, and it's sort of bittersweet. It can be hopeful, but it's also sort of in this time we're seeing people sort of drawing into, inward to their communities that sort of have that confirmation bias and build up these beliefs um, that prevent them from having a conversation with other people who they disagree with. So uh, this piece is about that. Excellent. Is, do you want to show us any others? Uh, no. I think I had one other in here from earlier mm -hmm. in my uh, practice when I was still doing uh, wheel thrown ceramics. But um, I, I put this piece in here as an image just to talk about um, how I try to inject hope into work now because the conversations are better. Uh, it's better for my mental health and well-being. Uh, but I made this back in 2014 when I was just, everything just felt devastated. Uh, this is my Alaskan version of Egyptian canopic jars. Um, they keep the organs of the mummified dead. And I just felt like the land uh, and the animals were going with it. And Alaska was just being flushed uh, for individual gain. But it has no hope. It's sort of empty and sad. And, um, and the conversations about pieces where there's hope have been much richer and much more inspiring, I think, to people who want to make change, just in contrast. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Anvil. Thank you. Yeah. So I'd like to turn toward the current show at IGCA. Um, you know, we're, the rest of you are all participating in that. And, and actually, the, the reason for this talk um, originated um, from, a, from an Instagram post that you made, um, Scott. You, you posted a piece um, called, uh, what is it, Mending. 
right. Yeah, I wonder if you could um, show us that image and sure. talk a little bit about um, your inspiration, Mar your, uh, what Margaret Mead said and, and all that. Um, yeah, let me see if I can or not. Yeah. Um, you had, um, while you're finding the image, I'll, I'll just mention that you had pointed out when asked what the first evidence of civilization was, the anthropologist Margaret Mead said it was a healed human femur found in a cave. This meant that people had to care for, shelter, and feed the disabled until the femur was mended. While an animal may not have done that, people did. The Anthropocene proposal is as much about acknowledging human destruction as it is about our will to mend the damage. Okay, I think I got my share going. This isn't an image, but I would, will go to it. Mm -hmm. um, so here's the... Um, Mm -hmm. These are those four pieces, and they're actually pieces that I, it's a strand of work I've been working on for a long time, which is making these found boards whole again. Um, and, and when I started doing it, I, maybe I wasn't sure what I was doing, but it's sort of about healing these things, making them uh, one piece again. And uh, I just had recently heard this story about Margaret Mead, where she was asked what the beginning of civilization was and they're expecting her to say something about well you know it's when they found a shard of pottery or a, a, a arrowhead or something like that but it was in fact it was she said it was when they found a mended femur in a cave and it meant that the people who uh mended that femur had to uh care for the person and feed them and shelter them while it mended because it takes a long time for that to heal and so it was really about um, healing and coming together as a community to, to uh, be stronger. Um, and uh, I, I, these are from 1998, actually. And, and so I have made these kind of things uh, on and off for the last, uh, I don't know, 20 or 25 years. Started making them in college, actually. And it's just kind of a strand of work I've been doing. Um, yeah, that's my contribution to the uh, Anthropocene. Um, John Coyne started the show and he's talking to me about it and I really wasn't really familiar with what the Anthropocene was um, at first. Uh, but I, I think it fits. Um, it, for me, it's more about healing than it is about uh, destruction or about an opportunity for healing. And I think Mike was talking about that as well as an opportunity. Uh, and I think that that's kind of how we have to think about it as we reinvent ourselves in this world um, about what our opportunity is. Uh, can I go ahead and show some other work? Please. Okay, so I was going to start. Uh, last year I lived in Cuenca and I was, there's all these expats there. They go there and be, they live there mostly because it's cheap and um, they get good health care. And uh, it's a, it's a, they're just, maybe they're explorers of some sort, but really they're taking advantage of the situation where they can get more for their money, which I don't blame them. I mean, uh, kind of who wouldn't? And um, this is called, I don't paint nudes anymore. Um, and then this is also from that. And a lot of them are based on just walking for hours through the streets. Um, uh, care me means want me or love me. Uh, and this is called um, uh, Midwinter is a Season of All of Its Own. It's off, based on a, a poem, Little Gidding by T.S. Eliot, which is also about, uh, can you see that whole thing? It's also about, um, sorry, reconstruction sort of, or, or healing. Uh, this is what I've been doing a lot recently. I haven't really been making a lot of work. Uh, last year when I, I'm a teacher and the school shut down. So I was working right here in my studio and I just didn't want to be in here anymore. I needed, I needed to come in here and it'd be a retreat after working all day. Uh, and I just, I didn't, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and I kind of stopped making work in here, but
but I've been doing these word walls for a long time. Word wall is a teaching term. Teachers uh, often create a wall and they put all the new terminology of a unit or something up on the wall uh, so kids could learn it. And I started making these based on found words that I find on media, um, newspapers, advertising, um, you know, and I just copy them down without thinking. I put this outside the Biscuit Club uh, in downtown Anchorage. Um, so I've been walking and putting these up because I have a bunch of them and I have all that means to make them really quick. And so I just walk around and put them places. And at first I started putting them up on, uh, on Instagram and I'm like, I really don't want to, this is, I don't want to do it. So they're all anonymous. They don't have to say anything on the back. There's no name or hashtag or anything. Uh, but I, that's what I've been doing. I don't know why. To a sense of mystery or something, you know? And I think they make sense to people, especially in a time like this when nobody knows anything. I, I don't know if it feels heavier, it feels more important. Another thing I've been doing, you have to be careful, uh, is I've been drawing people on Zoom meetings. I've gone through like four <laughs> hours of Zoom meetings in the last two days. And so I'm just like sketching these people. And I don't know if this is okay or even legal or anything, but I know people go to cafes and draw people all the time. Um, but they got darker and darker as I uh, went on. Um, so yeah, look out guys. Um, and uh, so this is the 98 one. And this is what's on my studio wall right now. Uh, so I'm kind of going back into painting and I set up a separate office space in my house just for work. So I can keep this space that I'm in right now for making things. Um, and I, I really wanted to, I really wanted to take the opportunity to take advantage of this situation and make a lot of artwork and it just wasn't happening. And then it, it kind of had to be okay with that too. And I was okay with that. And I'm like, so I've been, to answer your question from earlier, I, I, I have been uh, questioning the value of um, being an artist or me being an artist, not other people, they can do what they want, but, uh, whether it really makes me happy and I don't profit off it. Um, you know, I mean, I have fun occasionally and I'm grateful for the opportunity to show it and I like to show it, but I don't know. Uh, so I kind of took a little break and I, now I'm back in it. Like, it's just part of me. I got to do it. But it, it was an interesting experience or an experiment to question the value uh, of my happiness making artwork and whether maybe I would be better or happier, um, uh, you know, going to uh, Black Lives Matter uh, movements or something like that, you know, and really being an activist. I, I feel like if I want to be an activist, I'd be an activist, uh, you know, and, and sometimes the art doesn't always do it. And maybe I'm totally wrong in my thinking that I shouldn't, maybe I should push activism more in my artwork. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I've been doing and how I've been reacting to this situation. Um, and mm -hmm. that's, yeah. Thanks, Scott. I love that last piece. You're, to me, you're totally a poet and belong to this. You're sort of a far-flung member of like the West Coast sort of assemblage movement that um, has sort of powerful roots around the Bay Area, William Wiley and the, those uh, filmmakers, those experimental filmmakers. Um, you just have this visual poetry going on that's extremely, um, it, it's, it's just incredibly funny to me and provocative and poignant like that. Thanks. Shoe trying to kick a ball that's attached to it or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but I'm gonna be thinking about it. Yeah, well, I was going to put a rock on there. I didn't know how to drill a hole in a rock, like kicking rocks down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, you know, like you say kick rocks and that's like, get out of here. Or you can, uh, it's a thoughtful meditative thing is to kind of kick rocks down the road. I, I don't know, but I have a ball and I could get a wire in that. So mm -hmm. that's where it is so far. Yeah, probably it, it's work that other people and because I, I don't know, and, or I don't necessarily think it is your responsibility to know what it means, but it's something that other people could think about and write about, you know, in, in time. 
it's it's provocative. Well, I agree. I like. I don't mean it always, but I my work always turns out humorous. Mm-hmm. It turns out to have some sort of dark humor, and uh, I don't intend that, but that's just how it is. I think we need that too, and that's also something that I see in your work, Mike. Um, I see, you know, like um, uh, dark humor, experiment, playfulness, and sort of earnest questioning. And so, you know, I'm thinking about, um, you know, addressing Mike Conti here. I'm thinking about how your work has sort of covered a lot of different terrain, but especially in the past several years as, as um, Alaska's place seems to have shifted because of you know planetary warming and the shrinking of the polar ice cap from sort of like the fringe to the center of global conversations. I've, um, I've noticed that you seem to be examining this question of what role an artist has in, in interpreting our relationship to our environment. Mike, I was wondering if you would um, show some of, some of your work and maybe you know work that you made for that show and how you've been responding to that. Sure, thanks. Um, let's see here. Um, wait, share screen. Okay. Can you see my Google drive? You can. Okay. So, um, thanks for that, uh, question. Um, I, I don't know if I'm showing any dark or humorous work in this little selection I put together, but I'll just go with what I got here. Um, this is a piece that is in the Anthropocene show. And, and when John asked me to be in it, I don't know when, maybe a year ago, six months, I, I can't remember. I, I knew I had the piece already made. And uh, this is from maybe 2018. And uh, it's, uh, it's a mixed media piece on canvas. And so what the story behind it is, is I, I took my first trip to Utkiavik, which was formerly known as Barrow. Um, maybe it was 2017, I, I can't remember, but it was, it was just sort of a, on a whim, I went up and stayed with friends and I rented a car and I drove the road because there's kind of only one one actual road from one end of town to the other. And I just kind of drove back and forth in the winter time. And uh, this is uh, Point Barrow. And there is a, uh, a sign there, a very ominous, empty sign. And so I shot many pictures of it. And it, this one was from my iPhone panorama. And um, I printed it out straight. And uh, it, it, you know, it, it was it was good, uh, but I like to play with materials, and so I was in. Uh, I used to teach printmaking at UAA, and so I was in the print studio a lot, and I started doing these four. Co- oh, first I I ran the image through a, a Google artificial intelligence software called Deep Dream, and so if if you look closely, I, can I, can I zoom in? Mm-hmm. There are these, there are these structures in the background. You see, there's one here. They're kind of like ghost images. Well, Deep Dream kind of put these ghost images in. They look like tents or pavilions or something. And um, I think the original title of this was called Arctic Dreaming or Arctic Dreams or something. I I changed titles a lot just based on, I forget what I was thinking before and I changed the title because I don't know why, but uh, I think this is now untitled parentheses Arctic signpost or something like that. But anyway, I, so I, I did this deep dream thing and then I um, silk screened it onto a canvas and then I, used a Xerox transfer technique where I took color Xeroxes and over and matte mediumed the whole canvas and and laid those down and somehow I was able to register it but 
Um, but there's a little vibration in, in the image, as you can kind of see, maybe. Um, and, and also, the, the transfer technique leaves a lot of, you know, uh, these broken areas where, the, where it, the, the image doesn't take. And there's wrinkles and there's seams. And so, um, you know, I, I guess I like, I feel it's a strong image or I, I put it out there because I don't know. I mean, the Arctic is the signpost for the world. It's the warning. It's, it's the first, it's the first place to go or when, when our planet warms, it's the first um, indicator of change or strongest in indicator. So there's that whole sign, the sign, what does it mean? Is it unraveling? Is there, you know, um, so there, I don't know, there's a few different things going on in there that, that I, that I like about it. And, and some part of this process was discovering what the piece was as I made it, as I kind of built it and layered it uh, through experimenting because you can't really plan a lot of these things that, that appear these these holes in the arctic or holes in the image so so there's that one and then i also put this image in to the show and uh this is a similar process but not the same um backstory on the image was i was in new mexico and for a residency at the Santa Fe Art Institute. And I, uh, my project was to explore the Four Corners region of, of the Southwest. So, so the art of those borders where New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and, and Utah meet, and in these right angles. And, and it's sort of like a, uh, you know, a place where people go, like almost like a pilgrimage. It's 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 really like a roadside attraction, but but there there's people ascribe meaning to this place in in the desert, and um, I found that traditionally, the the native people of the area, um, it wasn't a, a a particularly special place until white people started to stop there because of these borders, and then. Of course, when travelers stop there, then native people um, will go and sell things and and you know that make an economy around that that roadside attraction. So, and and almost in in my research, the, it's a manufactured myth about Four Corners. But that's a whole other thing. I was exploring the desert and I found this horse carcass and um, to me it symbolizes something about changing climate, weather systems, drought, um, something about, you know, that the desert itself is a pretty harsh place. It, it's not, you know, you find bones and, and dead things all over the place. Um, but um, uh, so what I did here is I made a big Xerox, color Xerox of this image that I shot on an iPhone again. Um, I shot many photos of this, but, but the best one was the iPhone. I, can, I wanna leave time for Sheila, so I'm gonna pick up the pace a little bit. Um, this is a Xerox transfer, but I used like a um, matte uh, paste, a texture paste, that's called crackle paste. And then there's some trans, and there's some watercolor and some charcoal and stuff in there. Um, I wanted to talk about some other things that I do outside of this show, and and it's it's related to the Anthropocene in the way that, like, oh, as a photographer, I find my role as sort of a an advocate and a support person, and uh, one of my um, you know, this is my friend Holly Nordlam, and Holly is uh, working hard to heal um, her her people, the Anupiak people, and all Native people. She's working 
as an advocate. And, and her main focus is, is the traditional tattoo through uh, healing, you know, bringing the culture back. And years ago, Holly asked me to, to work with her and, I, and I've been working with her for, it seems like a long, like five years at least. And um, so as a documentary photographer, I want to like, you know, help people heal. And in this case, like in relation to the Anthropocene, I, I think that the indigenous people should have control over their land and are better stewards than say profit driven uh, companies. And, you know, I, I don't, maybe you guys probably know the, the drill um, or the, or the, the dialogue around that. I think indigenous people um, should, should have power back and land back. And I think that everybody, the whole earth will be better for it. So this is my advocacy and my, it's, you know, I make these pictures, but I don't necessarily um, um, call it my artwork. Um, this is just a close up of, of some of the process of skin stitching. Um, you know, I, I see myself as kind of a, just a support um, documentarian. Um, in, in return, I get some amazing experiences uh, working with Native people. This is the, the poet Joan Navia Kane, and she was doing a, is doing a project um, exploring the military industrial complex of her, of Alaska and specifically Nome, Alaska. So um, I just, I like that image. So I, I want to leave Sheila, I'm sorry if I went on a little long, I'm going to stop right there so, so that you can have your, your voice. Oh, thanks, Mike. I just want to say, you know, I, I, I'm, it's fascinating to me how you've managed to bridge a lot of different um, opportunities as an artist to explore, you know, the Anthropocene through the works that you, you know, initially showed, but then also kind of pointing out the role of the artist as a um, a documentarian too. I mean, that's a potential role. Okay, Sheila, I'm gonna go right into screen share here on my screen to show some images that you sent me um, this morning. And um, let's see if I can do that. Uh, here we go. Um, where did I go? Okay. What are we looking at? Uh, this is a piece that is in the uh, the Anthropocene show. Um, it's uh, called uh, Red Sky in Morning, and it's really based on that that old uh, rhyme for weather forecasting for the past you know two thousand years. Uh, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. And so I'm using uh, uh, found objects, found and manipulated objects. Primarily in this case, it's signage. Uh, I've been working with signage since last year because it just seems like it's part of our, it's part, it's a reference to the, the world we've constructed, so to speak, in all of its parameters, whether it's in um, how we've constructed our, our, our society or how we have constructed our transportation, just all of that sort of stuff. So out of this signage is sort of a, uh, uh, almost like a, like a skyscape and then cut through the middle into the background are, are uh, definitions of the self if you go into Webster's Dictionary, you'll find that we have about three and a half pages of self-definitions. So as a species, we are very self-obsessed. And, and those just go, you can see from the bottom, you can see them larger, and then they just get smaller and smaller as it goes up the piece. And the center uh, orb, um, again, it's just a found object where we're making it sort of 
almost like a celestial orb, whether you want to see it as the sun or the moon or whatever, but inside are again, more, more uh, pieces of definition of the self. I think there's another detail of that as well, Asia. Ah, keep scrolling on down, actually. Go all the way down if you can. There? No. Keep going. Up there, up, there we go. So normally when I think most of us work, and particularly me, and I'm working on a new idea, you know, I start with a lot of small gestures and, and then they get bigger and bigger. This was the one opportunity where I, I reversed that. This is a 12 by 14 foot piece um, called Ingenaire. And, um, and so now I'm starting to go back and make smaller pieces to explore other ideas. But this was a piece that is really closely related to what is in the Anthropocene show. Ingenaire um, is like a Latin term for uh, to cause, to create, to produce. And so all of these found and manipulated uh, sign pieces are all stitched together in layers, almost like a stratification. Um, I'd recently been three weeks floating through the Grand Canyon and, and really got uh, immersed in, in going back in time and seeing all these layers, these stratificated layers of of the earth and so in a sense put these in a similar sort of um, color layering as it goes from the deeper reds and oranges all up through to almost like a, 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 a more airy whitish kind of thing and, and it's basically from my point of view this is in the engineering building at UAA and um, it's a it's like a, a tactile history of the visual strata that our society stands upon and that that blue arc uh, going through the lower third is represents you know just the curvature of our earth our, it, this you know we've got one planet and um and this is in a sense some of our social stratification that we're doing on the planet and to the planet and then if you scroll back up through that you'll be able to see some of the, oh, maybe the other, no, I guess it's there. Mm -hmm. Some of the other uh, details that are layered in. So I was trying to bring in as much of the built environment into the, the strata layers as possible. So from, from that, from the engineer piece, from that piece, I've now been working on what I think of as the strata series. And, and the red sky in morning is, is an initial was a was an initial gesture of of working with some similar elements but on a much smaller scale like a three to four foot scale and these are all part of engineer so uh so now i'm working on more of those so again uh, it's i do feel like when it comes to um thinking of you know where we're at as a species where we're at as a society i'm first starting from a position of of thinking historically and and i am hoping that from there i'll move more towards um the present and then and then on into you know future visions of what might be able to occur with our with our current position that we're in thanks thanks sheila mm -hmm. Thank you all. Um, I just want to invite um, any comments or questions from our listeners, if anybody anybody has one. Um, they're certainly welcome to jump in. Um, and and if not, to to ask you all if you have um, any questions of each other about where you're going and what you're making. Well, then I'm going to turn to a comment. You, do you have one, Mike? No. Okay. I'm going to turn to a comment that Anvil made, and, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond, Anvil. You had, you, when looking at, at um, Scott McDonald's work, you said that um, mending the unexpected, or mending the unexceptional, um, 
a nature in which animals adapt and human impacts and anthropomorphically express anxieties and vulnerabilities, different things. Those are some thoughts I've, I have about your work. But you said mending the unexceptional was particularly um, provocative um, for you as, a med as sort of his, his way of describing um, the role that artists might have in shaping um, our relationship to our environment. Did you want to talk about that at all, Anvil? Is it is it something that is there something more there that I'm? Oh well, I just I just thought you know I was looking all of you up because I wasn't familiar with all of you when Asia asked me to be here. So um, no, I thought that piece was was uh, it's really interesting to me that you chose to mend. Uh, I do a lot of construction projects, and so these little like one by twos that you think, well, if I if I bust it, I just buy another one. Um, but not only that you were just letting them kind of mend themselves like you might with a living living branch, you bolted them together. So sort of like a new way of letting things mend. Um, and the definition of what's unexceptional is so sort of personal and sort of, you know, what's right in front of my face. Uh, so I just thought it was good. I, I tend to personally spend a lot of time on details that I might think are unexceptional and then someone goes right to that detail and that's what sparks the conversation that needed to happen. So I'm glad I went and looked up your work and I love that piece. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, one thing, I don't know, some teacher told me a long time ago that anything horizontal is landscape and anything vertical is, you know, portrait or human. And, and I just like, somehow it just stuck with me. And so when I made these, I was like, well, they're going to be, they're more reminiscent to me of people than they are of landscape. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, I, I work in uh, Title I schools, so I work with a lot of at-risk kids. Um, I, I wouldn't call them unexceptional, but um, sometimes, uh, honestly, they're a little broken. Um, and I don't know if it has anything to do with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, when we're talking about like healing the environment, we're really talking about ourselves. Uh, as it, uh, as is mentioned, you know, we we're, we're really big on ourselves, but when we're healing, we're talking about healing the planet. We're really talking about ourselves. Mm -hmm. The planet really doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, that's a good, I do have a question um, for you, Scott, and maybe Mike too, uh, or just the educators um, in the arts, because I'm sort of dipping my toe into that. But I'm curious if you engage your students on the subject of sort of art in the Anthropocene and conservation, uh, and if you have any sort of, uh, I don't know, tips is a bad word, but um, strategies, let's go with that, for how to engage sort of the younger audience. they are really driven by um social movements and things or injustice so if you can i really try to have them be in control of what they make and it's really tricky i mean this old-fashioned way of teaching artists to have kids do what you want them to do step by step you know we're going to do this thing and they all kind of do that thing uh, but to get them to engage on their own ideas is a lot trickier uh, but um social issues are are they're very passionate about injustice they're very passionate about so yeah i guess i try to i have to be careful because i work in public schools and I'm not certain if we believe in global warming or not there but <laughs> i think you know um i i have i have taught a little bit um or well i i start conversations with uh with college students about all kinds of issues but i try i'm careful not to preach to them and i i think i try to ask more questions than give answers or or opinions um and and i'll assign art projects that are related to the environment or or a little bit into politics or or culture at large the culture wars so um my my teaching at uaa previously has been all over the place and recently i i um i started I, well this this fall i'll be teaching all photography classes 
as as the head of photography. So I'll get to work with people over time, and I, and I want to um, be more engaging in that realm, especially as I work with people throughout their career and advise them and kind of take a bigger role as as uh, as their mentor, their art and photography mentor. So. I don't have a good answer, but those are my experiences so far. Yeah, I agree. You try and try to have them come to their own conclusions. Yeah. No, thank you. I respect, I respect what everybody here does. Um, and I'm glad that you are engaging with them on, you know, whatever capacity you're able to. So thank you. Well, let me just want to thank the four of you um, for joining us today and, and everybody who's tuning in to this dialogue on art in the Anthropocene. We're going to continue this theme for, um, for a little while. Next week, we'll talk with Mina Elder and Cheryl Marie Riley, um, two artists that are um, specifically looking at um, impacts of, of humans on the environment and Alaska in the um, Anthropocene. Thank you so much. Take good care. Thank you, Asia. Thank, thank you to everybody. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Asia. Thank you.